Have you ever felt like somebody was not listening to you? They just weren't listening to anything that you're saying? I never feel that way, just so you know, on Sunday mornings. I never feel that at all. The story is told that President Franklin Roosevelt used to be really frustrated how people would not listen to anything that was being said during the receiving lines at receptions at the White House, that people would just walk through and shake hands and and nobody was really paying attention to anything that was going on. So he thought he'd have some fun one day and he decided he was going to say something shocking to people that were walking through and just see how they reacted and see if they really did listen. So what he actually said was a little, a little on the strong side, so I've taken some creative liberty and, and adjusted it a little bit for Sunday morning. But people would come through the line, he'd shake their hand, and he'd smile, and he'd say, hey, I punched my grandmother in the face this morning. Sure enough, person after person would walk through the line. Great job, Mr. President. Keep up the good work, sir. We're, we're real proud of you. Thank you so much. Nobody was listening to a word he was saying. It wasn't until the ambassador from Bolivia came through that he actually listened to what the president said. And he heard the president said, hey, I punched my grandmother in the face this morning. The ambassador leaned down to the president and he said, well, sir, I'm sure she had it coming. (laughs) Never underestimate the power of listening. We need to be good listeners because listening is actually good for your soul. Now, that may sound weird at first. You may be thinking, wait a minute. Now, my soul is the deepest part of my existence. How could the simple act of listening have anything to do with my soul? How could the simple act of listening do anything to touch the deepest part of my existence? fair question. And I want us to try to answer that question today. So look with me as we begin in James chapter 1 verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. You know, there are some things in life that we need to hear over and over and over again. And James is going to give us at least three things today that we need to listen to over and over again. And the first is that we need to be quick to hear. We need to be quick to hear specifically God's truth. One day Jesus was in a conversation with some religious leaders. And in the conversation, he turned and said this to them. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Wow, Jesus, tell us what you really think about us, right? You see, Jesus is putting this in a whole different category. It's not just saying, hey, it's a good habit to listen to the sermon. It's not just saying, you know, it's it's a good thing to to hear the Bible when you're reading it. Jesus is taking this into a, a whole other realm. Jesus is saying that our ability to listen to God's truth is a reflection of where our heart is with God. Maybe put in a more blunt way, If we are quick to hear God's truth, we are revealing that we have actually been saved, that salvation has come to our hearts. A famous talk show host, Larry King, once said, I never learned anything while I was talking. The listening, the, the hearing, it is critical to everything that we do. 
There's a faithful preacher in Wales during the 17 and 1800s. His name was Roland Hill. One day Roland was talking to a friend of his, and his friend said, You know what? I remember the first time I heard you preach. It was 65 years ago. And I remember the text that you used, and I even remember something that you said during the sermon, just, just a part. And so Roland said, well, what part of the sermon do you remember? And this is what his friend said. You said that some people, when they went to hear a sermon, were very squeamish about the delivery of the preacher. Then you said, supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read, and you were expecting a legacy from him, you would hardly think of criticizing the manner in which the lawyer read the will, but you would be all attention to hear whether anything was left to you, and if so, how much? And then he said this, and then you said, and that's the way to hear the gospel. It's a good picture, right? I mean, think about it. If you found yourself sitting in a room where you were listening to a will, you would have your attention on what was being said. If you found out that you might inherit $10 million and a beachfront home at Seabrook Island and a mountain chateau outside Asheville and a 15,000-acre ranch somewhere in Wyoming, you would not be concerned about how old or how young the lawyer was that was reading. You wouldn't care about what kind of clothes he was wearing or what his hair looked like or, or whether or not he taught like a northerner or a southerner. You see, your focus would be on the information. You would be listening to what was being said. This picture that James gives us here is that we should remember that when we look at our average life, the things that we would passionately listen to, that if God's word is not in that list, it is to our detriment. You see, God's word is fantastically, amazingly, stunningly, eternally more valuable and greater than anything you will ever receive from anyone's last will and testament. It's just that valuable. And so James says we need to be quick to hear God's truth. We need to be quick to hear God's word. And he gives us a second thing. Look back at verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be slow to speak. You know, Proverbs is a, a great book full of lots of wisdom, and Proverbs says a lot about how we talk. Here's just two verses from Proverbs. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. So there's lots to say about being slow to speak, about watching your words. But I, I want to be sure, this doesn't mean that you should never talk to anybody anywhere. You know, this doesn't mean that you should always listen and never say anything. This doesn't mean to you know, go find a closet at your house and put your little fridge in there and, and bring your you know, iPad and just stay in there for the rest of your life and never talk to anybody. Okay, that's not what it means. You see, as Christians, we're called to proclaim the gospel. So we would have to speak. There's something we would have to say. But what these passages are telling us, what Proverbs and James and really all of the Bible is saying is this. Don't talk just to talk. 
Don't, don't just talk all the time about everything. Don't be quick to always give your opinion. Don't be quick to always give your way of doing things. Be slow to speak. Be, be slow to burden people with unnecessary words. One day, some religious leaders had brought a woman. They were going to stone her for committing adultery. And so they brought this woman to Jesus, and they wanted to trap him. And so they turned to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, Moses told us that we are supposed to stone a woman like this for what she's done. What do you say, Jesus? And you know what Jesus said? Nothing. He didn't say anything. Instead, he stooped down and he began to draw in the sand. He was slow to speak. He was slow to respond. But when he did finally speak, this is what he said. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Okay, thanks, Jesus, for that one. And in the moment, you know what happened? Those stones started flying. Not at the woman who committed adultery. Not at Jesus. But at the ground next to their feet. Because those men knew there was not a one of them that was without sin. Listen, there are times that God calls us to, to boldly speak the gospel, to boldly tell people about Jesus. And quite frankly, we are not bold enough with the gospel. We're not bold enough with our salvation. But there's also this picture that we shouldn't talk just to talk. We shouldn't speak just to speak. We should not be quick to always say, well, this is what I think, and this is what I think we should do, and, and this is my opinion. We should be slow to constantly talk about our health problems or our school problems or our work problems or our family problems. Not that they don't matter, but that we as believers should be the kind of people that we're slow to dump on people. Now, let me say this. Sometimes in life, you need someone you can throw up on. You do. I'm not talking about little kids when you're sick and mommy's in the room. I'm talking about it is all right here and right there, and you're about to snap and you're about to blow. Look, you need people that you can sit and just dump on. I'm not talking about those unique moments. But if your whole life is dumping constantly all of your problems... If your whole life is when people see you coming, they walk the other way. That's the opposite of what we need to do as believers. We will have times where we need to share. And we will have close friendships when we need to share. But we need to be slow to just constantly give our words. Slow to constantly give our opinions. And when we do speak, parents, I give this challenge to us. When we do speak, there needs to be a lot more of God's truth in our words. Because God's truth is what's going to change your spouse and your children and your grandchildren and your neighbor and your friends and lost people and your fellow church murmurs. It's, it's God's truth that changes our hearts. And so we need to be slow to speak whatever we want, and we need to be maybe 
a little more purposeful in speaking God's truth and knowing God's truth and sharing God's truth. James gives us a third thing that we need to hear over and over and over again. Verse 19 and on into 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Is it always wrong to be angry? No, it's not always wrong to be angry. There's a a measure of righteous anger that we should have toward our sin. There's a measure of righteous anger that we should have toward our culture and our society and the things that we see today. There's a a measure of righteous anger that we should have if, if God's being dishonored or if God's being mocked. We see this righteous anger in Jesus in the temple, right? Jesus walks in and turns the tables over and and anger that God's house was being used for selfish, sinful reasons instead of as a place to worship and enjoy Him. But the key word there is, is righteous. Rarely is our anger righteous, right? Think about the last argument that you had with your spouse or with your children or or with another family member. Mm, Probably didn't fall under the umbrella of righteousness, right? See, our anger usually comes from our foolish pride or our anger usually comes from a selfish agenda. Rarely is it righteous anger. Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Someone said that if you blow your top, you blow your witness. That's catchy, and there's some truth to that. It's important that we honor God and how we act, and and if we're constantly blowing our top, we're probably constantly blowing our witness. But some non-Christians will use the activity of Christians and the the anger of Christians to sometimes reject the gospel or to avoid the gospel or to avoid the church. The notion is this, well, you know, Christians are just hypocrites. You know, they, they don't practice what they preach. And you know what? The truth of the matter is there are far too many Christians that do not live out Sunday afternoon to Saturday night what they claim to believe on Sunday morning. That is sad, but it's true. But that doesn't mean that you can use that as an excuse to reject the gospel. Ron Daniel says this, God has made a way for your sins to be forgiven, to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin. That truth is not dependent on whether or not this or that Christian has a problem with getting angry or being a bad witness. It is completely between you and God. Sinful anger will damage and hinder and hurt our witness. But sinful anger is not an excuse for someone to continue to rebel against God or to reject the gospel. Their response to the gospel is their responsibility. But you know, some Christians don't think they're angry people. You know, they laugh enough and they shake enough hands and talk to enough people, they don't really think they're angry people. So how do you know if you're an angry person? Stephen Cole says this, if you can't make it through a week without yelling, name-calling, throwing things, threats, or giving your mate the silent treatment, you're an angry person. Ouch, right? 
I mean, anybody find a little bit of that in your life and that list there? You know, when you think about anger, sometimes we forget who really loses when we get angry. <laughs> yeah, we do. You know, we lose first, and, and then other people lose. And here's the thing. Sometimes other people don't lose. They don't. I mean, think about the guy in the car in front of you. You're yelling and screaming at him, and you're going nuts because the light turned green, and he hasn't pushed go yet. But you know what? He can't see you. He can't hear you. Do you think it's bothering him? Not at all. But it affects you. Do you think the, the stoplight starts to cry when you start yelling at it to go ahead and change? No, it doesn't. See, the reality is when we look at anger, anger hurts us. We are the ones that are damaged by our sinful anger. So what do we do about it? How do we deal with sinful anger? Well, this is what James says. James says that we need to be slow to be angry. I don't know. We might say count to ten, right? My mom, when I was a kid, I have no idea what I did wrong. I was a pretty good kid. But for some reason on this particular day, I wasn't being a good kid. And my mom told me to go outside, take a baseball bat, and hit the tree. And I did it. Surprisingly. And you know how many times it took me to hit that baseball bat on that tree? Change my attitude? One time. Because it hurt like nobody's business. My arms, my hands, my everything. But boy, I took a good whack at that tree. I'm pretty sure I haven't had a whole lot of trouble with anger like that ever since. The picture that James is giving us is just, just slow, come up with a plan to immediately back away. Be slow to be angry. Don't, don't let anger be your first response. Come up with a plan. Find a Bible verse. Find a, a word that you could use. Just, just some trigger to help you slow down. Some trigger to pull you back away. Now, some people say, well, you know, that's all cute, preacher, but I mean, I can't do that. You know, I, just, I got an anger problem. It's just who I am. I can't control it. Technically, that's, that's not true. Jay Adams gives a great picture of this. He says, imagine that you're at your house and you are screaming and yelling at your spouse. Boy, you are just having at it at one of your kids. And the doorbell rings. The doorbell rings and, and you go to the door and, and it's your neighbor or, you know, it's a friend or it's the preacher. You know, somebody's there. When you open the door, you're not going to go, what do you want? Get out of here. No, what are you going to do? Your natural, slow-down anger response is going to kick in. And you're going to open the door, and you're going to smile, and you're going to say, Heidi-ho, neighbor, good to see you. So glad you came by. See, we actually really can control our anger. It's just back to our heart doesn't want to. In some ways, it's easier to be quick to anger. So Jay Adams asked the question, so who's more important? Is your neighbor or your friend or the preacher or the guy setting up your cable, is that person more important than your wife? Is that person more important than your kids? So, so you, can, you can flip the switch off with people that are not the most important people in your lives. And yet you'll flip the switch on with the people you should be loving 
and shepherding and pastoring and ministering the most do? You see, we can control our anger. It's just that we don't really want to. You know, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he did not say, blessed and happy are the angry. That's not how it works. Now, James gives us three pretty good questions here to consider. So let's just, little mental quiz. You take this multiple choice, A or B, however you want to look at it in your own mind and heart. Are you quick to listen or are you slow to listen? Are you quick to speak or are you slow to speak? Are you quick to get angry or are you slow to get angry? These things matter. According to Jesus, they matter because they reflect the actual status and condition of our souls before God. But it's not just these three. James gives us something else to consider. Verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Can you imagine if you went to clean a shower and you get into the shower and I mean there is just mildew and mold just all over the place. And you get one of the little spray bottles of tile cleaner or whatever you're going to use and you spray it all over the place and, and you look down in the corner and you, I'm not going to spray any there. That, that, little, that little mass of mildew and mold, that looks just like my first puppy, Pookums. It's so cute down there. I'm going to leave that mildew down there. It will remind me of Pookums every time I take a shower. I'm just going to leave that mold right there. We wouldn't do that. But yet somehow in our mind we start thinking about sin. And we go, oh, well, look at that sin. It's cute. That, that, that sin right there that's, that's built this, this nasty stuff in my life. You know, I, I think I'm just going to leave it right there. See, sin does not leave a cute design. Sin is full of lies. And sin's desire is to rot your soul and kill you. That's what sin wants to do. King David said this, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Now, I'm not going to say that sin will always make you sick, but I can tell you some stories of people that when they started confessing sin, their health changed. It's not always true by any means, but there is something about sin that takes over from the inside out, and we can't just blow it off, and sometimes we forget the impact it's really having on our lives. James says we've got to get rid of all the filthiness, all the wickedness. We can't just say, hey, this sin is no big deal. We need to be casting it aside on a regular basis. Think of it another way. Imagine a Civil War general coming up to his battalion right before they're about to head out into battle. And he says to them, all right, guys, today before we go out into the battle, I want you to just focus on the bayonets. That's it. Don't worry about their rifles. Don't worry about their cannons. Just ignore all of that firepower. And when we go into battle, I just want you to focus on that knife on the end of their rifle. That's it. That'd be foolish advice heading into battle, right? But for some reason, we, we spread out the sin in our lives and we say, well, I, I'm going to, yeah, this one looks kind of bad. I think I'll focus on that one. But the rest of this stuff, ah, it's no big deal. Nobody really knows it. It's not really affecting anybody. You know it's affecting? It's affecting you. It is riding your soul, and you don't even know it. Years ago, we bought our 
first big car, our first Suburban. I remember we were in Greenville, North Carolina, and I was with a friend of mine, and we were, uh, I was test driving this, this Navy Suburban. Man, I loved it. I was like, man, I'm getting, I told him, man, this is what I'm going to buy. Now, Vernon was about 63 at the time. Vernon was my best friend at the time. We were quite a pair, 28-year-old and a 63-year-old. We went everywhere together. We, we shopped together. We bought chicken salad together. Um, but so we're, we're test driving this car on this one day, and I'm, I'm just all excited. I'm, this is it. Now, this is the one. I get out, and, and Vernon's crawling down underneath that Suburban. I was like, what are you doing down there? He didn't say anything, and he got up. And he said, what are you thinking about doing? I said, man, I'm buying this car. I'm buying it today. He said, I wouldn't do it. I said, why? He said, the bottom of this car has rust all over it. I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah. He goes, I guarantee you this has been down at the beach. And, man, it's just the, the whole bottom's rusted out. But you know what? I didn't care because that navy blue top side looked great. Man, it had nice tan leather interior. It had the best CD player at the time. Man, this, this was it. But see, underneath, there was rust. Underneath, there was rotting. And it wasn't going to be long before that rust and that rotting was going to cause problems. Look, you might go to the grave with your sin, but then it will really affect your lives. So today... We need to look at the catalog of our sin and say, God, I'm overwhelmed, but man, help me start clearing things out. God, help me start dealing with the sin in my life so that it doesn't rot my soul and so that it doesn't affect those around me, and even more so so that it doesn't affect your glory. This is the kind of thing the Scripture says we need to put aside. Disobedience, greed, hate, jealousy, murder, arguing, complaining, lying, gossiping, backstabbing, pride, and boasting. These are the things we need to put aside. These are things that don't need to be in our closet. We need to get rid of these things. And what should we be doing instead? What should be in our life instead of filthiness and wickedness? Well, James tells us, look at verse 21 again. In humility, receive the word implanted. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to be angry, and be really, 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 really quick to receive God's Word. Don't resist it. Don't push away from it. Whether it's a, a Bible study or a devotion time or your Bible reading or a Sunday school lesson or a sermon, don't push away. Embrace it. Pull it in. Accept it. Receive it over and over again. And James says to receive it with humility. What is humility? What does it mean to be humble? I love this definition from C.S. Lewis. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. See, sometimes we hear the word humility and we go, Oh, I've got to sit in a closet with a shawl over my head and talk about what an awful person I am. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself and getting down on yourself and saying, oh, I'm not important and I can't do this and I can't do that. Humility is simply thinking of yourself less. Remember our launch verse last week was John's words, he must increase but I must decrease. Humility means that we're doing everything we can to make Christ increase in our mind and our heart and our lives and our homes. And we're doing all that we can to make sure that we think of ourselves less. And that's the same attitude that we need to bring to the Bible. It's the same attitude that we need to bring to the Scriptures. With humility, we need to receive these things from God's Word. 
Think of it this way. Imagine that you're in a wreck, and it's a pretty bad accident, and you're hurt pretty bad, and you can't get out of the car. You're in, you're in an awful situation. And so the firemen come, and the paramedics come, and, and all the rescue workers come, and they move to start helping you out. And you say, go back. Stay away. Don't bring those jaws of life over here. I don't want your help. I can handle this. I got it. Stay away. I mean, that'd be foolish, right? I mean, you, you actually are in need of help. That sounds foolish, but you know, that is how many professing Christians treat the Bible. Sure, they like sermons about the Old Testament, these great stories of these great people in the Old Testament. They, they like the, the sermons and the Sunday school lessons on Jesus and the Gospels and these great, wonderful things that he did. And boy, they really like when the preacher gets up and gives a fiery sermon on tithing or a fiery sermon on heaven or hell. Boy, we like that. But you know, some of those same professing Christians do not want to hear anything from the Bible that says you must change. We push away when God's word says your opinion is wrong. We push away when God says your way is not the right way. And we push and we push and we push when all the while God is trying to help our souls. He's trying to get us to love ourselves in the one way that we need to love ourselves the most, and that is for Christ to be increasing in our lives. Another quick quiz. Do you fidget and whisper and pass notes during the sermon? I promise if you do, I don't see. I'm kind of blind when I get up here, so you kind of you gotta, you gotta wait there. Do you think the preacher is not funny enough? Well, I mean, I know the answer to that, so don't worry about that one. Do you think the sermon is not relevant enough for your life? Do you think the sermon is too long or too short? Do you just not like the preacher or the Sunday school teacher? Do you, do you just not like how things are being presented? If so, then the problem may be with you. Because those are the kind of things that show a heart that's not teachable. A heart that doesn't accept God's word with humility, but rejects God's word with pride and with arrogance. See, James's challenge is, look, you've got to be slow and quick to do these things, and you've got to get rid of sin. But the reason you're doing all that is you're trying to make room for God's truth. Have you ever cleaned out your attic? Ever cleaned out your garage? My, my middle sister and, and her husband did that over the holidays and so when I went into the garage, I, I thought I was at the wrong house, you know, when I walked into their garage, because I've been in that garage many times, and I've crawled over this and snuck under that, and then finally got up to the door of the garage. But this time I walked in, and there was, everything was off to the side, and there was this huge, gigantic path, and I felt like I was in a foreign country. But they, they made room. See, James is saying, make room in your life. Get rid of the sin, but make room for God's Word. Make room for God's truth. And receive it with humility. Look, I'll be honest with you, that's, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Sometimes receiving the Word of God, man, it's like digging your fork into a great piece of chocolate cake. It is. Oh, man, it's just good, boy. Sermon was great. Sunday school teacher was great. Man, my Bible devotions were great. Man, sometimes it's, it's great. Other times, receiving God's Word is like a dentist digging into your mouth 
for a root canal and you don't have any numbing medicine and you don't have any happy gas. Sometimes it, it hurts. But even then, keep receiving it. Even then, keep pulling it in. Don't, don't push away. Because that word, that truth, it's, it's good for your soul. So you receive it with humility. Well, what does that mean? How, how do you practically receive God's word with humility? I love what Warren Wiersbe says. When you receive the word with meekness or humility, you accept it. You don't argue with it, and you honor it as the word of God. You don't try to twist it or try to conform it to your thinking. And you know what else you do? You don't sit, I hope Eunice back there on the fifth row is listening to this sermon. Boy, I hope Tommy John up there in the front is listening to this sermon. And we don't do that. And we, we listen and we say, God, I need to at this point, whether I'm before you in my Bible devotions or whether I'm in a Sunday school class or whether I'm driving down the road listening to a sermon or whether I'm sitting in the pew, our attitude to God's word needs to be this. Welcome. Welcome. Please come in. I, I trust you. I need you. Please bring your word to me. That's what it means to receive the word with humility. And why should we do that? What's the point? What's in it for us? Look at verse 21. James says, In humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. You see, the word of God, the truth of God, it does something. It reveals the story of Jesus to the heart of someone who's not a believer. And it shows that person's heart that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only in other words, it's the Word of God that can actually rescue a person's soul from the terrors and the horrors of hell. God uses His Word to rescue people from eternal damnation. But here's what's just as wonderful. For the believer, it's not just a one-time thing. See, God's Word keeps rescuing and keeps saving our souls over and over again. It keeps saving our souls from having that chokehold of sin over our lives every day. And how does it do that? Here's how it does it. God's Word tells us the story of Jesus. And tells us the story of how Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life. In other words, what God's Word does for us over and over and over again and shows us that Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure in the universe and what we long for the most. In other words, it's the Word of God that cleans and washes our eyes and helps us see the majesty and the perfection and the beauty of Jesus all over again. That's what God's Word does. So why would we reject that? Why, why would we push that back? If, if God's Word is the one place that brings us joy, why would we say, no, I don't want that? Samuel Stinnett in his great old hymn, gives us these words. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. When I shall reach that happy place, I'll be forever blessed. For I shall see my Father's face and in His bosom rest. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who? Who will come and go with me? 
Why do we need to be quick to hear? Why do we need to be slow to speak? Why do we need to be slow to be angry? Why do we need to cast aside the the sin in our lives? Why do we need to receive God's word with humility? Because Christians, we are people that say we are bound for the promised land. So let us live like we are. Because this word saves our souls. Let's pray.